Metastar Health IT Radio is a podcast series that features consulting content experts and covers topics regarding the Wisconsin Medicaid EHR Incentive Program, promoting interoperability, formerly meaningful use, as well as a behavior health technical assistance initiative. Episodes covered will guide your practice, clinic, hospital, or hospital system through the complex federal and state requirements of the PI program. Metastar has helped more than 2,000 providers attest to promoting interoperability as Wisconsin's regional extension center since 2010 and continues to provide attestation assistance and audit preparation as a consulting service. We are joined today by Julie Schmelzer, who brought nearly 20 years of social work experience to her project specialist role at Metastar. She supports practices and providers participating in the Behavioral Health Medicaid HIT program. Today, she's sharing with us information about the 42 CFR Part 2 regulation, which protects medical records for individuals who have a substance use disorder. This is Metastar Health IT Radio. I'm your host, Caitlin White. So, Julie, can you tell us what is 42 CFR Part 2? Yes, of course. 42 CFR Part 2 is a Department of Health and Human Services regulation governing the confidentiality of substance use disorder patient records. It's part of the Public Health Services Act, which was originally issued in the 1970s. And 42 CFR Part 2, or Part 2 as it's commonly called, became finalized in 1975 with several revisions since that time. So you mentioned that 42 CFR Part 2, or as you said, Part 2, refers to substance use disorder patient records. Can you tell us what is meant by substance use disorders for these regulations? Certainly, and I'm going to read it pretty closely to how the regulation states it. So under Part 2, a substance use disorder refers to a cluster of cognitive, behavioral, and physiological symptoms indicating that an individual continues using a substance despite significant substance-related problems such as impaired control, social impairment, risky use, and pharmacological tolerance and withdrawal. For the purposes of Part 2, this definition does not include tobacco or caffeine use. So, Caitlin, basically, Part 2 protects patient information from a covered or federally assisted Part 2 program that could directly or indirectly identify an individual as having a current or past drug or alcohol problem or has been a participant in a covered or, again, Part 2 program for drug or alcohol treatment. And I should stress by covered Part 2 program, it is a program that receives federal assistance. For example, a program that qualifies for reimbursement from Medicare or Medicaid federal programs. Remind us why Part 2 is so important for individuals with a substance use disorder. Sure. Historically, our society has had a lot of stigma when it comes to individuals who have substance use disorders. The original Part 2 regulation was put into place to help these individuals feel protected against stigma and in order to limit the discrimination and fear of prosecution they would have in order for them to seek treatment. Now, as you can imagine, substance use disorder diagnosis and treatment information can not only be frowned upon in our society, but it can be held against an individual in certain situations, such as court hearings, custody battles, and even for some employment opportunities. Unfortunately, our society has not removed our stigma around individuals with substance use disorders, which continues to make part two relevant and important today. 
So Caitlin, let me give you an example. If I have a diagnosis of alcohol use disorder and I believe that my diagnoses and treatment information will negatively affect my ability to gain or maintain custody of my child, I am most likely going to avoid seeking treatment for my alcohol use disorder or be very hesitant to seek treatment at best. And avoiding treatment is so unfortunate since we have the knowledge and understanding to know that substance use disorders are acquired chronic illnesses and can be managed and can lead to long-term recovery. So how do behavioral health and healthcare providers know when the Part 2 regulations apply to situations? Yes. So remember, Caitlin, Part 2 applies to any entity that is a federally assisted program and holds itself out as providing and does actually provide substance use disorder treatment, diagnosis, or referral for treatment. Now, Part 2 limits the circumstances of sharing information that could identify an individual that currently has or has had a substance use disorder unless that individual has given written consent to disclose this information. It should be noted that Part 2 does not apply to general behavioral health medical records. So after just reviewing that background a bit, the federal government Substance Abuse Mental Health Services Administration or SAMHSA, um, has information and frequently asked questions to help providers know when Part 2 needs to be followed. And this information can be found on their website, which is www.samhsa.gov, G-O-V. Now, SAMHSA also has fact sheets describing scenarios that further help both Part 2 and non-Part 2 providers have a better understanding about the Part 2 requirements. Now, as you can imagine, with electronic health records and health information exchange, this can get a bit complicated. We did not even envision electronic health records back in the 1970s when 42 CFR Part 2 was originally drafted. So in addition to SAMHSA, the Office of the National Coordinator for Health Information Technology, or the ONC, has information on their website to further support providers as they navigate different Part 2 situations. And their website is www.healthit.gov. And I want to point out that both of these websites will be listed on our Metastar podcast webpage, which can be found at www. Dot M-E-T-A-S-T-A-R dot com slash podcast. Can you tell us how Part 2 is different from HIPAA? Yes, that's a great question. As I mentioned, the Part 2 regulation was finalized in 1975. HIPAA, or the Health Information Portability and Accountability Act, became law approximately 20 years later in 1996. But... HIPAA does not include specific guidance around confidentiality of information for patients with substance use disorders. In other words, Part 2 is separate from HIPAA for those specialized federally assisted Part 2 providers. And Part 2 has been described as an extra layer of protection for individuals with substance use disorders. Now, when you define Part 2, you mentioned that it has gone through some revisions. Can you talk more about that? Of course, and I want to be clear that I'm not an attorney or someone qualified to provide legal guidance, Mm -hmm. but I'm happy to give you a brief history lesson. 
So since 1975, Part 2 has been reviewed and revised several times. Back in 1987, again in 1995, and then recently in 2016, when SAMHSA proposed a new rule to take electronic health records into consideration. You know, and this was to suggest more flexibility for exchanging healthcare information while continuing to protect those patients with substance use disorders. So in 2018, that final rule was implemented. Now, most recently, updates were found to be needed because of a surge in opioid use disorder in our country. Therefore, in August of 2019, SAMHSA proposed another revision of Part 2 to better align with the opioid use crisis. And this was to provide greater clarity for the comprehensive care team treating those individuals with opioid use disorder. Now, if we go back to March 27, 2020 of this year, the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security, or CARES Act, was passed to provide emergency assistance to those affected by COVID-19. The CARES Act includes provisions around Part 2, which suggests even greater flexibility with sharing substance use disorder patient records, aligning it more closely with HIPAA. The CARES provisions around Part 2 cannot take effect until March 27th of 2021 or later. So if you're still with me, effective <laughs> on August 14th of 2020, SAMHSA published a final rule based on that August 2019 revision. SAMHSA really felt it was important to keep moving forward with the progress from the August 2019 rule instead of waiting until March or later in 2021 for the CARES Act provision. With that recent August final rule, can you give us an example of what has changed with Part 2? Absolutely. And please keep in mind the basic framework for Part 2 remains the same within the August 2020 final rule. Some of the key changes were made to provide clarity and to make information sharing less burdensome and to improve the patient's comprehensive care all the while still protecting the individual's substance use disorder information. So one example, and this is based loosely on an example that's on the SAMHSA website. I'm gonna read from the August 2020 final rule. It states, an individual with a substance use disorder diagnosis may consent disclosure of part two treatment records to an entity without having to name a specific recipient. So let's say I'm a patient with alcohol use disorder and I wanna share information from my part two provider with the Social Security Administration for my Social Security benefits. Prior to the August 2020 final rule, a specific Social Security agent or employee would have needed to be identified on the part two consent form, where now the consent form can simply say Social Security Administration. And as you can see, this continues to protect me, the patient with the alcohol use disorder, since I am the person who has to sign that consent form and to disclose any of my substance use disorder information. But this makes the process a little less burdensome since the timeliness of the benefits application may be expedited by that requirement of only having to say Social Security Administration instead of a specific person at that organization and then waiting for that specific person to respond to the request. What will the changes to Part 2 do to improve individual patient outcomes? 
Well, Caitlin, the ultimate outcome of reforming Part 2 has been to make it easier for individuals who have substance use disorders share this information with their providers and their entire medical team. The hope is that this will lead to seeking any needed treatment and working towards long-term recovery with that individual trusting that this information will not create undue discrimination. Now, an even bigger improvement outcome would be for our society to learn more about substance use disorders as chronic health conditions and to remove the stigma we've had so long around individuals who have been diagnosed with and seek treatment for their substance use disorders. Great. Julie, any final thoughts about 42 CFR Part 2 that we should keep in mind? Yes, Caitlin. I want to point out again that the current final Part 2 rule became effective on August 14, 2020, and the CARES Act provisions to Part 2 cannot take effect until March 27, 2021 or later. Again, since this might be a bit confusing, I would highly recommend going to SAMHSA's website at www.samhsa.gov or the website for the National Coordinator for Health IT at www.healthit.gov. Both of these websites can provide guidance around your specific 42 CFR Part 2 questions. And I also want to point out that you should pay close attention to the state guidance around these federal regulations. And you may also want to consult with your organization's legal counsel as needed. A lot of information to take in here. We thank you so much, Julie, for your time. For more information on this topic and to access resources mentioned, please visit metastar.com slash podcast. That's M-E-T-A star dot com slash podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find more like it in our podcast library and be sure to share it with others on your social channels. This is Metastar Health IT Radio. I'm your host, Caitlin White. We'll see you next time.